Welcome to another episode of the Crypto Pragmatist podcast. Uh, we're starting to get in a great rhythm with these. And man, I've just been so happy with the guests and the quality of conversation on these podcasts out there uh, lately. Um, yeah, today we talked to Oik Sammy, founder of New Order DAO, um, Redacted Cartel, DeFi Gigabrain Builder, um, Essayist has tons of unique theses on on DeFi and crypto and has has managed to you know as a young and non-builder just have an incredible impact on on the DeFi space as a whole and and I think it has been incredibly influential on how a lot of people think about crypto um and DeFi specifically I know he has for me with his base plate thesis talking about value accrual in a different way than than traditional finance and and just um i think one thing sammy's really good at is is not necessarily letting uh kind of tradfi or or existing paradigms in the financial and tech space influence how uh crypto uh you know how he views crypto so um I guess yeah. I guess you could define him as a as a first principles thinker. You could define him as an entrepreneur. You could define him as a as a almost like a philosopher, a DeFi philosopher, something like that. And uh, the guy just continues to build throughout the space, whether it's uh, with Redacted Cartel or continued involvement in in discourse at large, New Order DAO. So, um, so we talked to him today about uh, about building, about DeFi, about existing in the bear market and about and about kind of onboarding to the space because um he has kind of a unique story with how he started and uh i think for people who are curious about building it's 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 full of lessons and takeaways so um if you are curious about uh building in the space well sammy is a an interesting person to to follow and to learn about because he's had tremendous success with with several projects so um without further ado we'll get we'll get into this chat right away um but first a word from our sponsor i'd like to say a special thanks to my newest sponsor femex i've been in touch with their team over the past few months and i've chosen to collaborate with them after seeing their progress in further decentralizing their platform where i do a lot of my trading those who sign up with the link above and trade will receive a femex soul pass soulbound token and will be automatically in entered into their 100 ETH on-chain raffle. You could be one of 10 winners to take home 10 ETH. This is just the beginning of our partnership, and I'll work together with Femex to take you to new heights in your crypto journey. Again, check out the link in the description to visit their exchange. Thanks. Can you introduce yourself and, and what do you do? Yeah, sure thing. So I'm Sammy. Um, I am, I've been in the crypto space since uh, 2019 now. I am working on uh, Redacted um, and more importantly, our new uh, release coming up, PXE and Dinero. Um, I know you have some other questions, so I'll keep it short there. Excellent. Awesome. Well, we can get into that a little bit. Um, I know one of the things I admire about Redacted is the, the rate of shipping and you guys are constantly working on new products. So that's going to be cool to talk about. But 
first, I'd love to talk about your journey into crypto and becoming a builder, becoming a founder. So, yeah. So what got you into crypto? Um, I would say, like, I'm a bit on the younger side. So I've been in crypto since I was in high school, right? Since I was 16, right? I guess, like, when you, like, you start gaining consciousness around, like, you have your first, it, you have your first hit of consciousness around like five years old, but then okay. you get like a really good amount of consciousness around like 13 to 15. And I'd say right. like since then, like I was 15 when the, when the 2017 bull run was going down and that's when I was kind of like introduced to it. And um, to be honest, like I was never like, uh, <clears throat> like sure. I just had like a basic like youth bank account or something. But um, I, I, I feel like since I was a, like since I was a child and since I, have operated like I've known more about crypto and how that works and how to operate there than I have about like um, real obviously until like school and stuff later on after that but um, I've just been a crypto native I guess since I was a kid <laughs> do you were you like in the you know like MMORPGs or any of that stuff early on like where, have you kind of been perpetually online all of your life um I would say like as much as like a you know I would say like as much as like a 2000s kid uh, is, I would say sure, mm-hmm. right? Um, <clears throat> I was pretty big into like some private servers and stuff. I wasn't into, I know it's actually a pretty lucrative business now flipping these private servers, but um, like I'd, I'd play around with those and I'd say like I was always like <clears throat> on my computer and stuff, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Were you doing anything entrepreneurial as a, you know, like an early teen? Cause, no man, you know, actually, I worked at like a soccer store when I was a kid. Um, oh wow! And like, uh, yeah, it was like a family friend's like soccer store. They sold like shoes and soccer balls and stuff. And like, um, the, the actually the the idea then was like to just like, okay, basically like their business model was pretty good, right? So they had like a distribution deals with Adidas and Nike and uh, Puma and all these guys. And mm-hmm. then you could buy it. It's pretty simple, right? You buy it directly from the retailer for like 50% off, 60% off. And then you can sell it. Um, you can sell it through the store, through some sort of retail fund at like a good markup, right? Like a 2X markup or something. And then what I was doing was I had an employee discount, which for some reason they had no restrictions on. And then I would save up the money and then I would buy all that gear. And then uh-huh. I would sell it on Amazon at like 10% off what the other stores were selling it at. And then I made a quick, I made a little come up off that. Yeah. But that was more that's, just like, that was more just like being like an arbitrage Andy, right? Like, yeah, that's um, bad, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I was just in the mempool since a kid. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and kind of in 2017, what were you doing in crypto? Were you like trading or did you start to experiment with? Yeah, with... well, I didn't know what I was doing, right? So I just like, I guess I had this money. I just lost it all. Um, just playing around with, you know, like ICOs and super basic things. I had a uh, couple bags that I fumbled, um, just like learning, honestly, I think like, I think like a lot of people get really disheartened in crypto because honestly, the first cycle always, even like now that I talk to people, like even people who are around from like 2013, still in crypto, you know what I mean? Like they, like the first cycle, like you always, it's just a learning experience. Like you should just go into it knowing you're going to lose everything because like, uh-huh. It's, it's a learning experience. So like in 2017, I was just experimenting, learning how things worked. And then um, it just so happened that like by the time I was like uh, dropping out of school, um, <laughs> uh, like crypto was starting to come around again. So 
Right. Um, and you have an interesting school experience, right? You were actually studying stuff in crypto. Yeah. So I was doing econ. I was doing econ in Toronto first, um, mm -hmm. and then uh, from there, uh, there there was this uh, program that they made in 2017, right at the right at the peak of top of 2017. They made a post grad blockchain program. Um, and what that is, is like, basically like, you know, uh, you can go there for like one year, you can earn a postgrad diploma, um, and <clears throat> it's teaching you the basics of solidity, hyperledger, I, no one uses that anymore. Um, like how blockchain works, the legals, setting it all up, the whole nine, right? Um, and I got super lucky because at that point, like ETH was like $200, like no one cared about crypto. And there was like, you could just like apply and they'd let you, I didn't even have my undergrad, they let me in. Um, and uh like now it's like a five-year waiting list and you need like a computer science degree and all this sort of stuff but um i got super lucky and that's like that was like what i did for school and then i got my break in the crypto space from that right like a lot of the toronto crypto scene was like involved in the setting up like the um the, the coordination of like the curriculum for that program and a lot of them were like being prof professors and guest professors and i got to meet like a lot of dope people and like they were kind of like the group that like put me on um, just as like, you know, my first few like intern gigs and stuff. Right. Did you have a technical background before that? No, I learned everything through that. I think, you know, and I'm curious to hear your opinion on this, but I think people need, I think that first step is hard for a lot of people because there's obviously a lot of clever people in crypto, but just like understanding, you know, the, the most simple, most simple, like infrastructure and those very basic tools that kind of zero to one is a lot harder is, is hard to access for people. And it kind of takes this big energy jump. So um, it would be cool to see kind of more like, yeah, zero to one. Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, well, definitely a hundred percent. I'd say like that, that obviously is going to be super important. Just like incorporating it into education i think in general but like, there is like this I, I have this thesis that like you know a lot of kids nowadays will most most children actually in north america specifically maybe even in like third world countries or something will probably know how to like operate on chain and know how to use metamask before right. they understand what the hell is going on with their bank account and how that all works and stuff right yeah. um which is really good for crypto. Obviously, like it's not where the money is that you want for your bags to go up and stuff, but it is like really good just in terms of like on-chain adoption. Like, you, you know, actually it is, it, people think that crypto is confusing, but it is, it is infinitely easier to explain how a transaction for Aave or a deadline on Aave gets settled compared to, you know, all these, it's compared to the traditional finance, like debt world, right? Um, infinitely easier to explain to people. Right. Yeah, I think that's a cool feature of crypto is it helps explain financial primitives and like, yeah, there's something about these flows. I still think there's issues with frictions and crypto flows, but the fact that I can go into Aave and, you know, borrow and explain a liquidation and understand that myself in like 30 minutes, it's cool that it can teach people about a lot of these financial primitives. And a lot of people learn about you know, trad five primitives through crypto in the crypto space. Which is actually crazy to think about, right? Because I think like a lot of people, maybe on the older side or like how, like for a lot of like older people, I think it's crazy to 
to like wrap your head around the fact that like crypto actually taught finance to a lot of people but you'd be surprised man i mean i yeah. was in econ right like i was like studying economics and like obviously i got like a bit of like a head start um when it came to that but at the same mm-hmm. time like yeah yeah like a lot of chat five bros just wouldn't be able to believe it <laughs> right yeah so what were your first uh roles like in crypto you were doing some kind of internships and stuff yeah um i was an analyst at uh do you know what conflux is that chinese chain Mm, I've heard of it, but I like, yeah, never. Yeah, I mean, it's some, like, it. it's some like L one, bro. Like, it's nothing special. Like, I was uh, like, I was an analyst there. They were like expanding out of China or something, and like, they just gave me a shot as like an uh-huh. analyst. But um, like that's what I started doing, and like that was dope because like I got to like really just like being an analyst is like the best way to get into the space because like you're literally paid to just learn about stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so I was for DeFi summer, I was there, uh, as an analyst, sort of just like making research reports on what's going on in the DeFi space, but also what's going on with like funding and, and stuff like, uh, you know, even in the China space, which is like a completely different world. And right. it was like so weird. Cause it was like, dude, like I literally was in school like last year and now I like, I have to stay up until like 11 p.m. and like talk to like these people, the Chinese people don't even speak English and stuff. But like, <laughs> it was it was it was good, you know. Like I got um, I got have a lot of experience with that, and then I started like um from there. Like I met a lot of cool projects. I was involved with a lot of projects. Um, uh, I was helping uh, sushi for a bit. I was doing some hackathons on Gitcoin. Um, I was like a research. Uh, I forget what they call them. Like I was like a research intern almost at Masari. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like super like in the weeds, um, like I was just doing whatever I could, you know. Um, right. I think like it, like I was in a good position to be given my first break, and then like I just used that to like you know keep on um, keep on doubling down on stuff. Right. And then what ultimately kind of led you to saying, "All right, I'm ready to do my own thing," because you know in crypto, like creating something it's like immutable it exists forever you like something on chain is permanent kind of you know by nature so i don't know if that scares people but it definitely makes you you know if you start a lawn mowing business like you just shut down the lawn mowing business but if you started immutable crypto protocol you know that's there forever so um how'd you think about starting stuff um why did I think about, okay, so, like, actually, like, yeah, like, um, I kind of, like, looked up to some of these dudes, um, Kane and Robert, and, man, like, Robert kind of talked shit about Redacted after we launched, but, like, still, I really respected <laughs> him for, like, I really respected him for, like, Compound, and stay, actually, like, you know, like, one of my things was, like, I was, uh, when I was doing uh, the Conflux thing, I had a mm-hmm. podcast, right, where I was just, like, doing a podcast for the chain or whatever, and yeah. I talked with like Doquan, I talked with Stanny, I talked with all these guys when like they, their projects were like worth nothing. And you mm-hmm. could just like DM them on Twitter and like, yeah, sure. Like any marketing right. opportunity, they, they take it. Um, so I met a lot of these guys and like I, met, I had like a lot of admiration for them because it was like, this is all I've known like my whole life, you know, like since I was a kid, like just crypto stuff. And then like starting to see like people actually make like real businesses from it and stuff is like, it was pretty mm-hmm. dope. So I always wanted to do my own project. Um, but it was more actually just a thing of like, how, you know, it was, it was less about what the idea was. And it was more about how do we get ourselves in a position where we can't get fucked 
and like die on chain, which is like the worst thing possible, right? Mm -hmm. So when we had that idea, like we had a bunch of ideas, right? I met my co-founder, we had a bunch of ideas for what to do, but the, the main focus was like, how do we get ourselves in a position where we can raise enough money so that we can fund all the ideas we have and make sure that this will be a sustainable operation, right? Obviously you wanna make profits with the protocol and all these sort of things, but like, how can we be in a position where we have two years three years to like build and actually like get something out the door. Right. I think a lot right. of people just like think of an idea, whether it's the most sustainable idea or not. And they just like throw it out there and mm -hmm. they end up getting screwed because things move in this market, right? Like no one is going to survive just like offering the same thing. Even you see like the Goliaths of the space Uniswap now is like clearly playing with some account abstraction wallet type play on this sort of end. And then I see like Aave is doing a stable coin curved to the stable coin, right? Like, even mm -hmm. the Goliaths know that if you just have like, it's it's very easy to go from zero to one, but going from one to two is really hard. And you have to make right. sure that the runway you pull in and the capital you inject into your protocol is enough to fund the R&D needed to get from one to two. Yeah. And I mean, we've even seen big players like Lido. I know Lido was going to run out of money. They had like six months of a runway in the bank. So yeah, it's not an, an easy problem to solve. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, and we took like a very like aggressive way of doing it, you know, because that was like the thing we had in mind the most. Um, we did, we did an own fork, right? Like our first launch was an own fork and, um, we were able to like, you know, pull in, um, enough influence and capital to like, make sure that, you know, now we're in a position where we have two other products that are all revenue generating. We have zero butterfly dilution going to them and they're working products, but more importantly, we have the treasury of not only like stables to pay a team, but also of like influence directing assets like convex and curve and stuff to like launch a stable coin. And even if it was the most basic stable coin become insta liquid and a top stable coin overnight. Right. So right. Um, it was, it's a grind, right? Like you can't just get from like nothing to narrow overnight. Right. Like this was, this took like over a year and a half almost on our end. Right. Yeah. How do you, uh, you know, if, if you were talking to kind of an early founder, You've raised in, in very crypto native ways, you know, like on chain, yeah, own bonding, whatever. Um, would you do you think that's the right play for a lot of founders, or, or you know, if you had to live life over again, would you, would you take money from from you know more, you know, off chain VCs? Um, we we did so we did we did do a seed round. Um, okay. I think there's two, there's two things, right? Like one is the, uh, the, the, the signal of the money. And then the other thing is, sorry, you can still hear me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One is the signal of the money. And then the other one is the volume, right? Um, I think like retail markets, um, and just like public sales and all this stuff is like really good for like actually pulling in like a huge, like a huge, um, balance sheet. Right. And like making sure that like, you know, crowdfunding and token sales and all these sort of things are like a really good way to get that money you need to actually like execute on a really grand vision. But I think signal capital is also really important, right? So like we did mm -hmm. a small seed round, we raised like a million dollars, right? Like it was like, and it was, we raised at a good valuation, but it was like a million dollars because it was less about like, you give everyone their buy-in, like, you know, 50K, 100K. And these are the people that will actually make, make sure that others are aware that this project exists, right? Um, so, and, and, and in the end of the day, the, 
the private investors and the retail investors got the same valuation, right? So, right. Um, like, you know, you don't have to like create special deals for these guys, but you do have to like make sure that you have methods to like satisfy like enough size to get buy-in from some of the bigger players, whether they're VCs or angels or anything. Um, it's not about get, like, I think a lot of people look at like VC raises and stuff and like, damn, like, you know, like they're asking me to pay it 50, but they like, they just gave it to these guys at 25, right? Yeah. Um, when it's like, it, that's actually not the case. It's actually more of a thing of like, you are raising $1 million in a public sale. And like, these guys need 100k just to even like respond to your DM, right? So right. like, it's yeah, like, we did a private sale and public sale at the same valuation. And um, it, it ended up working out really good for us. Right. So I think I think there's benefits to both of them. But both of them have downfalls too, I guess. Um, and then how that the the public sale, how did you how did you publicize that? Was it a lot to do with Ohm and the community that Ohm or Olympus already had? Uh, that's a hard one, right? Like, how did we publicize the public sale? So we didn't do a public sale. Technically, we did a, like, we didn't do a public sale. What we did was like a treasury bootstrapping event. Right. Um, uh, so it's a bit different. Uh, I think that just being like that differentiated us enough where it was like, you know, you'll see a lot of projects raising and it's just like, I won't even click on this medium article because I already know what it is. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I think like because we did something a bit different, like that helped get a lot of eyes on it. Uh, again, tapping in with the right people, tapping in with the right projects, you know, the, like Olympus, um, like they helped get a lot of eyes on it. Uh, New Order, our, our incubator, they helped get a lot of eyes on it. Uh, Frax, those are guys are the homies. They helped like circulate it a lot. And like, you know, just just making sure that the incentives are aligned in a place where it's like literally not like shilling and dumping but incentives are aligned in a place where like it isn't the best benefit for them to help get their community aware of it right because um in uh, let's use olympus as an example let's use frax as an example right it, it's in frax's best interest to make sure people are aware of redacted exists because redacted is a, eventually became a major stakeholder of fxs right um with olympus you know there was a rev originally there was a rev share not anymore um, so it was in their best interest to make people aware of Redacted, not because they have a big bag of Butterfly or whatever, but because um, the success of Redacted is the success of Olympus, right? Um, so I think going about it from that angle is, like, really good. Obviously, it's a case-by-case -case basis, right? Like, the, the, the agreements you come into with, like, liquidity providers and angels are, like, way different than the agreements we came into with an incubator or another DeFi project or something like that, right? But um, I'd say, yeah, I mean, it's... It's it's a simple answer, so it doesn't really get people far. But simple answers are often the best answers, right? And the simple answer is just like use your brain, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of using your brain, I know the the Ohm fork narrative uh, was was short lived, but in incredibly you know volatile and and. It attracted a lot of attention in, I guess, late 2021. I know Olympus themselves have kind of changed the narrative where originally people looked at Olympus and they said, okay, like up only, you know, uh, this is like up only yield, my, my, the price will just automatically increase. And now people have, have, have a different narrative around the mechanism. Um, and I know there's still a lot of like faithful omis around there. 
when you decided to make Redacted Cartel um, an um fork at first, was it around the actual kind of tokenomics and mechanics of the Olympus fork? Or were you more focused on the idea of kind of bootstrapping liquidity uh, into a project that you knew would kind of need all of these tokens? And it was a way to kind of, yeah, to get these tokens under redacted control. So like, I I think like, um, I I think like we've definitely gotten better communication now, but it was always the purpose. Like even in the documentation, no one ever reads the docs, but like it was in the documentation that this was like supposed to be a very short term thing. Um, It was originally planned to be three months. There was some delays with like the development of V2s ended up being like six months or seven months or something. But the idea was like three months of this like hyper bootstrapping so that we can actually exist, right? And we can actually do the things we want to do. Um, we tried our best to make that clear to people, but like, you know, I think in the end it worked out, right? Like, um, like obviously like a lot of, like, there was a lot of volatility attached to it, which we didn't foresee before, obviously. Um, but like, you know, I think we did right by people. Like we didn't like, just like raise the money and fuck off. Right. So, right. Yeah. 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 There's, we won't call them out right now, but there's a, that happened to some home forks I know. Um, yeah, that, that's yeah. also another thing, right? Is like, you want to stay. I think it's really important to like always keep up with the trends, right? Um, some people mm-hmm. will call it a distraction, but like others will say this is like, uh, some people will call it the distraction, but others will say that like, it's the way that you stick around. It's the way that you stay alive, right? Um, right. And that is definitely the case in my experience, right? Um, if you refuse to like give in to what the market wants, then the market will give you death, right? Um, and uh, for us, it was like, dude, there was no other way. Right. Like it was like the end of 2021 and it was like anything we could have done, anything else we would have done, like no one would even know we existed. We we wouldn't have been able to do hidden hand. We wouldn't be able to pull in 10 mil, 20 mil on random Pyrex vaults and all of these different things. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be around. Right. So, you know, and but the the downside of that is that like um, at the same time, like other people see that and then they exploit it for their own benefit, which drags you down with it. Right. Like, Obviously, like we had a direct plan for how we were going to use the own model to bootstrap things and like use that to launch the, the launch the protocol and all of these different things. But at, right beside us was like Wonderland, you know, that was like um, that was doing the same thing, but for a different purpose. Right. And it just drags right. us down with it. Right. Yeah. Like People see other projects like going out and raising all this money and then they use the exact same thing, but for like a malicious purpose. Right. Um, and it ends up being pretty toxic. But. You know, you got to walk a fine line, I think. Yeah, I I will say, I think from the very beginning, you guys did a good job of an incredible job, really, of being this, being clearly DeFi native and being clearly ecosystem based, right? From the very beginning, Redacted Cartel was never something that, that stood alone in the DeFi ecosystem. It was always part and I, I know you talk about this a bit in the base plate thesis, which I think was the one of the first things I, I read from you. Um, but yeah, I think for anyone who is closely observing DeFi, who was paying attention, it was it was easy to know early on that like Redacted was was part of a larger ecosystem play around DeFi in general. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that, man. I think like um, 
I think like a lot of people go into this, come into the space as like founders. And like, when I talk to like projects launching, they always have such like grand visions. Like, you know, we're going to be the derivatives play. Like we are, mm-hmm. we are well, not FTX anymore, but like we are whatever we are like Deribit on chain. We are Binance on chain. Like, you know, like, and then what happens is they launch this grand vision. It doesn't work out. And then they end up becoming something niche, like what we were in our beginning. Right. Right. Um, well, I think if you do the opposite, if you start extremely niche and then you slowly work your way out to something so general purpose, like what we're doing now, you actually have a better chance of like success than if you were to say like, we're starting huge and then eventually realizing that you have to scale down to something much smaller, right? Um, because then you're reducing, right? You always want to be growing. You don't want to be shrinking. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, this again, not to, not to talk you up too much. Um, but, uh, part, you know, the, the way that you understood DeFi was you understood that like things like convex were incredibly valuable to any project looking to bootstrap or to create liquidity for their, for their DeFi products. So the fact that you came in and I'm curious if this was an accident or not, you, you, you came in and you, and you you knew you didn't necessarily probably know, know that you were going to create a stable coin down the line. Maybe you did, but you knew that you could create a, a project that had like a strong base to build other products on top of. And um, yeah, it's almost like an ecosystem play versus just a, a product play. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And the thing is that you like, you have to like shoot shots, right? Like we took a bunch of L's too, right? Like there was a bunch of mm-hmm. things that we did that would like, gigantic else right um but you have to like you have to like live and learn i think right um the stable coin actually was the original idea even mm-hmm. though we didn't have time to execute on it until now um but hidden hand for example like dude like that was just like that came out of nowhere right but it made sense for us to do hidden hand right like if right someone else came along and said they were doing like a vote market like it just wouldn't make sense you know yeah. and they wouldn't have they wouldn't have the means to like bootstrap it and start it right um same with pyrex right so yeah um i i think like it wasn't Um, a mistake but i think like it definitely was like a learning experience like slowly we got there go ahead sorry go ahead sorry no sorry i think there's a little delay right now okay am i choppy or it might be in my connection Sorry, can you still hear me? I, I can hear you, yeah. Well, I guess my connection's good. Um, yeah, can you... I, I honestly didn't hear much of what you are saying. Can you start over that last point? I guess I think it was about what um, direction. Yeah, I, I think, like, we knew our niche was liquidity, right? That's what we mm-hmm. wanted to deal in. And then you we knew that, you know sticking in the liquidity realm these were all the different options we had so we just have to get the liquidity to make all these options a reality right um right but in that process like it comes with a bunch of losses too right like i'm not going to name projects or whatever that didn't work out that we partnered with and stuff but like you know there's a bunch of things we did that like you know didn't work out right um and i think it was like i think just like having a bit of you know not like being risk off and being conservative but just keeping diversity in mind um 
like usually helps, right? Because one of them will win, right? It's just like, uh, for example, like Terra didn't work out, right? But like, you know, we had to do it. Otherwise it was like, we were out of date. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is something I've thought about a lot is the similarities between kind of builders and traders in the, in the way that they have to make convic- bets with conviction, right? Um, how how have you guys decided? And honestly, when you're a builder, it, it almost might require more conviction conviction to pursue a specific idea. How do you make sure you're you're pursuing the right things? Um, we never know if we're pursuing the right things, right? And our thing has just been, you know, we've been lucky and blessed that the two main things that we have put out have been successful, right? Really successful for a, a DeFi project, um, but uh we never know what we're putting out is the right thing actually like the best thing you can do and even like me talking with like other projects has been more like shoot your shots right um but if they don't work out just kill them fast right mm-hmm. um if they if they're not finding any adoption or not working just kill them so that you're not wasting dev time and resources on it but like i try to make sure that like most of the contributors on the team are always focusing on like new ideas um lots of r d right like lots and lots of r d um uh to just like try out new ideas and just you know like do whatever we can because the winners will always out like the winners will always shadow the the losers right um and by all means like you know like we've done things that have been definitely like huge l's um but for the most part like our winners like cover those losses and then some right um and if you just like if you just like you know what man our decks is working like these lp pools are working like we're just gonna stick with this like you know you're gonna get like someone else like us who's going to come along and just like keep on shooting shots, right? Like it's, you're just going to get shot out shadowed, right? Uh, how do you know when to kind of pull a loser? Because especially, you know, and you guys have existed a majority of your lifespan in a pretty gnarly bear market. Sometimes an idea might be a great idea, but it's not the right timing. How do you, how do you know when to call it a day on a specific idea? Um... That's a good question. I think like uh, constant reflection is always good, right? Um, you know, it's not just me making decisions. It's a whole DAO. It's a bunch of like, you know, contributors and stuff. And like just reflecting on things like, man, we spent this much money on an audit. We're paying this much for the keepers and the oracles and all of these different things. And like, dude, there's been like, sometimes like literally there's been things we put out where there's like seven people used it or something, right? Mm-hmm. And then it just it's just obvious, right? Like, if it's on an upwards trend, right? Like, I'll give you an example, right? Uh, we just did a hidden hand V2, uh, like right. a few days ago, depending on when this comes out, like a week ago or something, right? Um, and one of the features that everyone was asking for was an auto compounder, right? Like, I'm getting bribed in all these tokens. I want to just turn it all into ETH and make it simple for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we said, okay. And day one, we had like over 150 people subscribe to it, right? Uh, which is compound only has 250 daily active users, right? And yeah. I keep bringing up compound, but like, you know, this was really big for us because it was like day it, one. Your revenge on on Rob Lesnar. <laughs> no man, he's a he's a cool guy, but like, yeah. Um, but you know, um, like it was like 150 people day one, and then ever since then it's just been upward. It's been an upward trend, you know, the same numbers every single day, just going up, and that was a clear winner. Mm-hmm. So it's right. like, we're going to spend more dev resources on that to see how we can reduce the fees and 
uh, do all of these things. But then at the same time, we did like a new bribe type, right? Like Hidden Envy 2 is like seven releases all tied up into one. We did like this new bribe type that we thought people would like and, you know, like people have requested it before and like uh, maybe like one person has done that so far. Like one DAO has used that model, right? And it's like, oh, you know what? This maybe was like 20K of the audit and like only one group used it, right? So it's like, you just have to, like, there's winners. Like, again, like everyone loves this feature and that is like clearly the winner of the release. And then, like, sometimes there's things in the release that are, like, you know, not that popular, right? Like, it's not that big of a deal. You don't have to, like, you don't have to stress over it. You just realize, like, man, this probably doesn't need maintenance. Like, the things that people actually are using probably need more maintenance and upgrades, right? Yeah. And I guess it, it, it speaks to the model, at least in crypto, of this kind of, like, product feature suite where it's it's easier to, like you mentioned, right? If I'm trying to create, you know, the the perp decks that 7 billion people use and I have this grand vision, but it's really a singular product. It's hard to kind of suss out and experiment in, in a, in a way where you can kind of like cut your losers. So. Yeah, exactly. I think like, but if you were to start like super niche and then slowly just like more features, more features, more features, then you can identify the losers and go down the right skill tree. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like a game or something, right? Uh, if you know something's not working in your favor, then you can learn, right? But these people, like, a lot of people, like, die in crypto because they have the huge grand vision. And, you know what I mean? Like, none of them are winners because they never started small, right? Like, you got to have, like, high conviction in your first bet and then expand from there, right? Like, not the other way around. Right. Um, as far as kind of, you know, I know, I know, Redacted is a DAO and, and there's plenty of contributors that are all doing extraordinary things over there. But you're definitely, if not the face, one of the, you know, the main faces. Um, what is your your day-to-day role and, and work and and how do you how do you direct a vision and and be an effective leader in in building, you know, building I mean, out a crypto very- product? I, I do I actually do believe in not flat leadership, but for whatever reason, uh, redacted ended up being very flat and it worked out really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually like not as like I'm definitely very involved. It's like you know I I work on this, I'm advising a couple projects, I'm helping with the bear chain, uh, early ecosystem fund, a bunch of different things, right? Uh, but at the same time, like I'm spending a lot of time on redacted, and it's like. I'm kind of just like everywhere, right? Like I'm seeing what's going on at the engineers. I'm making sure they're well cord, like they're communicating with the marketing team and making sure everyone's in sync because when there's no flat architecture, like I'm not, like I'm not managing people, but I'm making sure that people are like communicating more than anything. Right. Um, and I'm doing what I can with partnerships, with product ideation, with marketing people. And then each one of those things has a special like dedicated person on it, right? And I'm kind of just there in support, almost an intern to them for every single one of the departments, right? Um, that That's kind of just how things went. So while I do believe that like having a hierarchy in an organization is really good and you probably should do that, uh, for whatever reason, we ended up going the opposite direction with Redacted and it worked out really well. Yeah, it's funny. I, I feel like I the best restaurants I go to, the owner is doing the the shittiest work. Like, if the owner of the restaurant is bussing tables, you know, like, the restaurant is running great. 
with the owner's kind of sitting off to the side, and he's got his arms crossed, like, he's not, like, the restaurant's going to be shit, the food's going to be horrible, and, and it's going to be dirty and stuff. So it's funny that you refer to yourself as, like, an intern, because uh, I think in, in a lot of ways, yeah, being an effective leader comes from actually taking a step back from from most of the work. So it's cool you've been able to kind of fall into that role. Um, what has been your favorite part of building, like your favorite stage and your arc of builder? Because now you're kind of an, a, a much more established DeFi builder than than when you were just getting things going. Was that early stage in the trenches your favorite part? Or now that you've kind of taken a step back, do you, do you prefer this type of work? Uh... Well, I haven't taken a step back, but what I will say is that, like, uh, man, what was my favorite part? It's a good question, honestly. I think, like, my favorite part is when we're working on something that no one has any idea what it is, because, you know, like, you know, just in life, sometimes you, like, you just say, like, super corny things, like, man, if only you knew, right? And that's, like, I love saying that, right? I love saying that. Um... You know, it's like now, like we announced Nero, everyone knows what it is, but it's like my favorite, my favorite stuff is when we're working on something and no one knows what it is. Um, because it's like the other things are working out, thank God, um, at the moment. And like, you know, they're pulling in good money and stuff. But like, if only you knew, man, if only you knew, you know, that's my favorite part of being a builder. Um, that's so funny. Yeah. And also like talking with like these other people who are just like very aligned, both in terms of like, uh, morals and, uh, and just things that they get excited about is also really fun, right? Um, that's probably my favorite part of it is like, you know, like I'm really happy I'm not a trader every day um, <laughs> because it's just like, I I'm sure people are happy that they're traders because those are things that like, you know, they like to do and they get excited about it and they meet people that are also excited about it, right? But at the same time, it's like, I'm happy that I'm not like forced to do something that I don't like love to do. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I mean, honestly, that's a lesson. I, I'm not, like, old, but I'm 26. Um, that's a lesson I would love to give to my previous self where it's like, yeah, just kind of what you're excited about. Um, yeah, I, and sometimes this is the thing. It's like, dude, like, yeah, when I first started in crypto, it was like, man, like, obviously I'm not, like, interested in, like, Chinese crypto stuff, you know what I mean? But it's like, sometimes you got to, like, if you want to do what you love to do, like sometimes you got to just like, uh, you got to like take the shit for like a couple of years. Right. And then <laughs> just like slowly keep working on yourself until you're in a position where you feel like I can take that bet. Um, for like, you know, a couple of years now I can take this bet and like really go for a moonshot. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of moonshots, what do you, have in mind for what's like the long-term vision for redacted like the five or even 10-year vision or is there an end state where you know redacted is solidified or is it always going to continue to evolve and ship um i i'll give two answers one is that like i don't like i've learned when I first launched Redacted, I had a five-year, ten-year plan in place, right? Mm -hmm. um, of, like, what I wanted to look like at the end. But then three months into it, I learned um, that, like, roadmaps are the stupidest thing ever because you limit yourself. And uh, first of all, they never the, the, the roadmap never gets met. 
everyone uh-huh. got mad at me because I put out a roadmap and it was like we fucking hit like 30% of it or something. Like, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But, uh, okay, like, I only think, like, I've learned, like, now to only think in the present and um, operate in the present, right? Because you don't, you are not, we are all participants of the market, but mm-hmm. the market is going to tell you what to do, right? The, the In the case of crypto, right, there's no shareholders and no corporate, like, uh, there's token holders, obviously, but there's no, like, uh, board members and none of these none of these people that will like have their own personal sort of like vision in mind and come to you and say this is what i want my vision to be right um the market will come to you and say you know what lsds are hot right now like we should be in this market right like you you got to just be on your toes right and then i think you get to a stage where you hit a huge winner in our hopes that's pxe 30 right um that's what we're aiming for with it right where you hit a huge winner where you're in a place now where uh, people are incorporating you into their strategy, right? Um, and then you're in a position where you're like, okay, actually, like now I've just become part of the stack, right? Um, everything, I've, like all the stuff that we've been putting out is just integrated into people's strategy and they are the ones directing the direct, they, they are the ones directing the future of this product. For example, Hidden Hand ended up becoming that, right? Um, Hidden Hand is like an integral part of the way that Aura grows and succeeds balancer like a lot right. of these other markets that we've launched like you know there's been markets like bunny for example the the uniswap thing where it's like um like without hidden hand the, the the flywheel doesn't work right um and then i think like you get to a stage where it's like you've been you've become an integral curve is like this too right uh, you become an integral part of everyone's strategy and what they mm-hmm. need is what they will get right so they need more curves. They need more, they, they need a different type of liquidity solution, all of these things to make their products work. And then that slowly becomes the driving force and how decisions are made in terms of evolving and growing the project, right? Um, I'm a big fan of like immutability, but I also like think it's too early to say like immutability is the path to go down, right? I think the path to go down now is to like make sure that you get in a position where you are the curve, you are the chain link, you are the Aave, right? Um, and, and these projects will not succeed or they cannot even launch without you, right? Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, to, to become one of those kind of bricks in the DeFi stack. And it's, it's crazy that you guys intentionally launched from the beginning not as a standalone product, but depending on other parts of the DeFi stack, and now you're incorporated. And yeah, because... Yeah, it's it's cool. It's cool. It's like a kind of full circle moment, I guess. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a full circle moment. And um, those guys are the winners, right? Like they are the winners when it comes down to it, right? Like I was just talking, we talked in the beginning of the call, like how complicated the, the you know, like the, the, the debt industries in the real world or even the payments industry is just so complicated, right? But there's just certain players who have just like become integral to how the payment, how payments work across the world, right? And right. they are the winners of the payment industry, not the app that you're using to send money to someone, right? Because those mm-hmm. will come and go. But Swift is there forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Swift is going to be there forever. So you want to be Swift. You don't want to be Cash App is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think you've talked about this in a couple, in a couple different moments. Cool. Um, well, I think that's actually a, a, a great point to wrap up on. Um, it's been phenomenal chatting with you. Uh, anything else you'd like to like to talk about? 
No, nothing, nothing on my man. Uh, it was good chatting. Um, we haven't chatted in a while. It's been a couple of months actually, so it was good to just catch up and yeah. appreciate you inviting me on. <laughs> no, yeah, honestly, it was an incredible conversation, and I like you really have a a unique perspective in in crypto, and I I know it hasn't been, you know. It either hasn't played out on a on a specific time frame, or you know, there's been I'm like ups and downs. Obviously, like Redacted has has gone through a lot of changes and and strategies and pivots and stuff like that. But the the quality of your thought and the you know the commitment to kind of like a a specific maybe not specific vision of DeFi, but uh a cohesive vision of DeFi has always been cool to follow from my perspective. And I, I see you as really one of the guys kind of shaping this like larger DeFi thesis, larger thesis of what DeFi is going to be. So I, I guess personally, thank you for being an interesting person to follow and also for kind of pushing the ecosystem forward. Um, I appreciate it, but you're too kind. <laughs> uh, where I can people I, find I you? <laughs> we are, we are there. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle's zero x s a m i underscore. Um, I try to like avoid Telegram and Discord wherever possible, but I'm uh, I'm on Twitter. You can DM me there. I'm, I'm always open to chat with people. Excellent, awesome. Well, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time today, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk soon. No worries, man. I'll catch you in a bit. Excellent.